Welcome to today's edition of the Rush 24-7 Podcast. Yeah, yeah, hang on. I just got a new app here that I've been waiting on. And it just, speaking of new apps, by the way, we got one coming. I can't, I can't tell you about it yet in case somebody discovers they did something wrong and approved it. So, I know that sounds kind of convoluted. We got a, we got a big app coming here, folks, and it's been approved. But if I start talking about it now, the approval process might be reexamined. So we're just going to play it cool until it actually shows up as available on the store. We'll let you know when that happens. Greetings and welcome. Great to have you here. Rush Limbaugh back at it with a full week of broadcast excellence. Uh, 800-282-2882, the email address, lrushbo at eibnet.us. You know, I've been looking at all this news over the weekend about crazy burning the Democrats, and there's people writing columns about, oh my God, the whole Democrat party has gone socialist. Really? What was your first clue? And I've been trying to tell people what the Democrat party is and how long it's been that way, and so has Rinaldus Magnus. We go back to look at Ronald Reagan's radio commentaries that he wrote and delivered over 300 of them. He's been warning about Bernie Sanders for I don't know how many years, um, 50 or 60 at least. Uh, the Democrat Party has been trending to where it is for the longest time. And all of this effort on the Democrat Party side to make it look like Bernie is an oddball and an outlier and a weirdo. Uh, don't fall for this, folks. Bernie Sanders is far closer to the mainstream of the Democrat Party than he is an outlier. And we'll be demonstrating this. Of course, you have to wonder how desperate people are when the same intelligence community starts warning that the Russians, last Thursday, Here's what happened. The New York Times says the Russians are trying to help Trump. On Friday, the Washington Post said that the Russians are trying to help crazy Bernie. And both papers had the same sources. It was so bad that Jake Tapper at CNN had to come out and debunk the New York Times story, saying he's got contacts in the intelligence community and the New York Times story is not what it is. That Russia and Trump are not working together like they didn't in 2016. But the but the new wrinkle is from the Washington Post that the that the uh, intelligence community claims that the Russians are trying to help crazy Bernie. Now that makes sense, and we'll break that down as the program unfolds. Uh, we've got some fabulous audio sound bites from panicked Democrats, panicked media. Chris Matthews, PMSNBC, is being, they're demanding that he resign, folks, because he referred to Crazy Bernie's victory in Iowa as akin to the Nazi brown shirts winning back in the 1940s. <laughs> Do you believe this? So there is a Twitter, I guess it's, it's a Twitter demand that, uh, that Chris Matthews resign. The Democrat Party is just being twisted every which way you can imagine. And it's all because they don't have the guts, like Bernie does, to admit what they believe. So we'll get to this in due course, but there is a verdict in the Harvey Weinstein, or a series of verdicts. Now, Harvey showed up today at court for the reading of the verdicts, as he has every day. Shows up in a walker, barely able to move. Little blue pills are falling out of his pockets. And the lawyers are behind him and making him look like he is an invalid. And, of course, uh, what? 
Well, I mean, it, 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 it just... <laughs> the poor guy shows it can barely move. Um, and, of course, we're, we are supposed to conclude that Harvey couldn't be guilty because if he can't stand up straight, what else can't stand up? And the little blue pill strategically falling out of the pocket supposed to indicate that he's not capable of anything without medication. It takes him about five minutes to squirrel his way out of the uh, luxury SUV. Anyway, here is the... the, uh, the uh, by the way, what, what can be said about Harvey Weinstein that hasn't already been said about Bill Clinton? You realize how similar... The allegations are here. The only difference is that Harvey's been convicted of sexual assault. And that's the only difference. So he's been found guilty, Harvey Weinstein, of criminal sex act and third degree rape in the New York trial. Uh, He's been cleared of the top charges. Just so you know, the... uh, I guess the Me Too movement is, is going to be kind of conflicted because he could get 25 years in prison. He won't get 25 years. But that's the, that's the maximum according to guidelines, and who knows what it's going to end up being. But he's been cleared of the top charges, faces uh, 25 years in prison, and the story is continuing to unfold before our very eyes and ears. Also, folks, this coronavirus thing, I want to try to put this in perspective for you. It looks like the coronavirus being weaponized as yet another element to bring down Donald Trump. Now, I want to tell you the truth about the coronavirus. What, you, 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 you think I'm wrong about this? You think I'm missing it by saying it's... Yeah, I'm dead right on this. The coronavirus is, is, is the common cold, folks. The drive-by media hype of this thing... As a pandemic, as the Andromeda strain, as, oh, my God, if you get it, you're dead. Do you know what the, I think the, the, uh, the survival rate is 98%. 98% of people who get the coronavirus survive. It's a, it's a respiratory system virus. It probably, it is probably is a CHICOM laboratory experiment. That That is in the process of being weaponized. All superpower nations weaponize bio-weapons. They experiment with them. The Russians, for example, have weaponized fentanyl. Uh, now, fentanyl is also not what it is represented to be. If you watch cop shows, then you probably... But stick with me on this. If you watch cop shows, you probably believe that just the dust from a package of fentanyl can kill you if you're in the same room with it. Not true. Not true. Even the cheap kind of fentanyl coming from China that's used to uh, to spike heroin, they use fentanyl because it's cheap. It gives a quick hit, doesn't last very long, which is really cool if you're trying to addict people. But it doesn't kill people the way it's projected on TV. It can if you OD on it. But inhaling a little fentanyl dust is not going to cause you to lose consciousness and stop breathing, as they predict or depict on uh, on cop shows. It's dangerous. Don't misunderstand. But it isn't the way it's portrayed in popular uh, criminal TV shows, cop shows, and so forth and so on. The coronavirus is the same. It's really being hyped 
as a deadly Andromeda stain kind of strain or Ebola pandemic that, oh my God, is going to wipe out the nation. It's going to wipe out the population of the world. The stock market's down like 900 points right now. And I think the survival rate of this is 98%. You have to read very deeply to find that number. 2% of the people who get the coronavirus die. That's less than the flu, folks. That is a far lower death statistic than any form of influenza, which is an annual thing that everybody gets shots for. There's there's nothing unusual about the... In fact, coronavirus is not something new. There are all kinds of viruses that have that name. Now, do not misunderstand. I'm not trying to get you to let your guard down. Nobody wants to get any of this stuff. I mean, you never... I hate getting a common cold. You don't want to get the flu. It's it's miserable. But we're not talking about something here that's going to wipe out your town or your city if it finds its way there. This is a classic illustration of how media coverage, even if this media coverage isn't stacked, even if this is just the way media normally does things, this is a hyped, panic-filled version, exactly how the media deals with these things to create audience, readership, interest, clicks, what have you. It originated in China in a little, well, not a little town, town's 11 million people, Wuhan, uh, China. And one of the reasons they're able to hype this is that the doctor who warned everybody about it came down with it and died. And so if a doctor, oh my God, Russia doctor got it, you can't possibly be right. If a doctor can't protect, he didn't know what he was dealing with. Discovered it back in December. I'm telling you, the Chai Coms are trying to weaponize this thing. Here's the story on the Russians and fentanyl. Fentanyl is a very, very powerful opiate. And for those of you that haven't had any experience with opiates, uh, the people who get addicted to them take them and they get very euphoric. They kill pain. They do wonderful things, but they make you very, very euphoric. They act like speed. Other people take them and they hate them. Makes them vomit, throw up, feel nauseous. It doesn't do anything for them. They're never going to get addicted. So in Moscow, the Chechens, way back, this, I'm going to go back now, what is it, maybe 10 years or longer, a bunch of Chechen rebels took over an opera house and had a bunch of Russian hostages in there, and they were making all kinds of threats, and Putin, unbeknownst to anybody, had weaponized fentanyl. He had, he had turned it into a gas, an invisible gas. And he just put it in the ventilation system of this opera house or whatever it was. I'm giving you the sketchy short version of this. And everybody in there fell asleep and died. In a drug overdose, you stop breathing. That's what it, it slows down your respiratory system so much you stop breathing. That's what an OD is. <clears throat> and that's and everybody in that place, including the Chechens, had no idea what happened to them. It's not violent. You just fall asleep for unknown reasons. At the amounts that Putin weaponized and put in there. You know, if you take a normal dose of fentanyl that you get from a doctor in a hospital, it's not going to kill you, obviously. But the amount they weaponized. And up to this time, nobody had ever weaponized fentanyl. Nobody had ever made it into an invisible, odorless, colorless gas until it was discovered that the Russians had done it. Well, every nation is working on things like this, and the Chicoms obviously in their lab are doing something here with the coronavirus, um, and it got out. Some people believe it got out on purpose, that the Chicoms have 
a whole lot of problems based on an economy that cannot provide for the number of people they have. So losing a few people here or there, not so bad for the Chinese government. Could be anything to explain this, but the way it's being used, I believe the way it's being weaponized is by virtue of the media. And I think that it is an effort to bring down Trump. And one of the ways it's being used to do this is to scare investors, to scare people in business, to scare people into not buying treasury bills at auctions, to scare people into leaving, cashing out in the stock market. And true enough, as the show began today, the stock market, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 900 points supposedly because of the latest news about the spread of the coronavirus. And if you go deeper into China, you will see that all of the high-tech Silicon Valley firms are said to be terribly exposed. They could be suffering a disastrous year. Why, you may not be able to buy a new iPhone of any model this whole year. Do you know that? Because the coronavirus is so bad that the factories may never open. And if they do, they may not be anywhere near full capacity. So Apple may not be able to release any new product. You think that's not going to panic investors? It most certainly is. Apple is trying to do what they can to suggest that these rumors are not true. They got new products coming this year, but but the tech media hates Apple. They love anti-Apple stories. They love anything that will let them report that Apple's on its last legs. Of course, that's not true. Warren Buffett came out today and said, Apple is the best-run company ever. So this is, and he's a big stockholder, so people will say he's biased about it, but... The bias you have to pay attention to is how much money. He got $36 billion in Apple stock that that Berkshire Hathaway has. They sold $800 million of Apple stock last week. And everybody said, oh, my God, he's getting it. No, he's not. He got $36 billion. He sold $800 million. No big deal. Wanted to allocate it somewhere else. So this is, I think, the coronavirus is an effort to get Trump. It's it's, it's not going to work. It's one of the uh, latest in a long line of efforts that the drive-by media is making to somehow say that Trump and capitalism are destroying America and destroying the world. Just keep in mind where the coronavirus came from. It came from a country that Bernie Sanders wants to turn the United States into a mirror image of. Communist China. That's where it came from. It didn't come from an American lab. It didn't escape from an American research lab. It hasn't been spread by Americans. It starts out in a communist country. Its tentacles spread all across the world in in numbers that are not big and not huge, but they're being reported as just the opposite. Just try to keep it all in perspective. I'll help you do that along the way. We'll take a brief time out. Come back with the media meltdown over Crazy Bernie winning everything in Las Vegas. So don't go away. Welcome back. Great to have you with us. Rush Limbaugh, brand new week. Broadcast excellence here behind the golden EIB microphone. I, America's real anchorman, America's truth detector, and the doctor of democracy. Okay, uh, we have a new app for Apple TV. For those of you who are subscribers at Rush Limbaugh, well, even if you're not a subscriber at RushLimbaugh.com, our website, 
As you know, this program is made available each day on TV via the Ditto Cam. It's on TV right now. I'm looking at myself there right now. The Apple TV app is the Ditto Cam each and every day and archived. And so the Ditto Cam can now be viewed directly on your TV if you have Apple TV. We've been in beta for two to three, which actually maybe about a month we've been in beta. Uh, we have ju- we just got approval over the weekend, so we deployed the app this morning. I waited until it was actually available at the Apple TV App Store via a search. I searched with my name, just Rush Limbaugh, and there it is. Don't search just Rush, or you'll get every app they have there with Rush in the name. Make sure you search Rush Limbaugh. It'll be the only app that pops up. And it's free. There's an in-app purchase, depending, and if, if you're already a subscriber at RushLimbo.com, that's handled. And so now you can watch. It's it's strictly the Ditto Cam. It's it's not the whole website. I don't want anybody misled. It's the Ditto Cam and archives of uh, of all Ditto Cam televised versions of this program, hosted by me. We don't have Ditto Cams of the guest hosts. Uh, only me, because we don't have a ditto cam anywhere but where I am. And the guest hosts never come in and do the show from here. Nobody ever is in this room to work besides me. Stein does it from his uh, cave somewhere in New Hampshire or wherever else he is. Uh, Ken Matthews, some of the others, but nobody's here. So there's no ditto cam, as you well know, when, uh, when guest hosts are here. So there will not be ditto cam archive files of guest host shows. So just wanted to let you know it's a free app, in-app purchase uh, to unlock all of the goodies. And I've been, folks, I've been, we, this, is, this is something that when we, when we first came out with the, the app for your iPhone and your iPad or, or Android, uh, we were really excited about it because it's a great app. It's, it's, it's a fabulous design, and it offers everything the website does at your fingertips, including audio and video streaming the program each and every day if you're a subscriber. But again, you don't have to subscribe to have access to an encyclopedic amount of data and content. You just you get the transcripts, and they're shareable. But you don't get audio or video streaming, especially on archive programs, on the free side. So the next thing we wanted to do was have an Apple TV app and a CarPlay app, uh, not for video versions, DittoCam, but to be able to listen to streaming versions in your car and archives. And so maybe down the road for that. But the Apple TV app up and running, just available today at the Apple TV app store. Back in just a second. Very happy to announce this to you. Why do I have to hit these buttons three times to get them to work? I'm talking to the engineer, folks. Nothing for you to be concerned about. Greetings. Welcome back. 800-282-2882 if you want to be on the program. Let's go back. I just I just want to share some, some news with you, comment on it. This was from February 21st. It's uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday. Feds notify Bernie Sanders Russia trying to help his campaign. Federal officials have notified... Crazy Bernie that Russia is trying to boost his presidential campaign in an effort to impact who becomes a Democrat. Do you realize how seriously screwy this is? Ladies and gentlemen, the Russians have been meddling in American affairs in a documented series of ways since the 1930s. 
There's nothing new about this. What's new about this is the way the intelligence community in this country has begun to leak and politicize this in an effort. The intel community is supposed to be pro-America. They're supposed to be non-biased. What a joke. I mean, on Thursday, the New York Times comes out and says that intelligence community sources say the Russians are once again trying to impact the 2020 election to elect Trump. They first reported that to Pencilneck and his committee, Adam Schiff and the Intelligence Committee, last week, the week before last now. And then Schiff calls a prep conversation, this is exactly what we predicted was going to happen if we didn't convict Donald Trump. It's just yada, yada, it's just more BS. And then the next day, the Washington Post comes out and says, no, the Russians are trying to help crazy Bernie. It is, it is just ridiculous, and it's taking something that's very serious and literally trivializing it. It's, 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 it's making people react to this in, uh, in ways that are unhelpful and unserious. Now, I know you're, what do you mean, Rush? Russians have been tampering since the 1930s. You ever heard of the Henry Wallace campaign? The Russians were trying to elect Henry Wallace way back. He ended up getting 2% of the vote. Do you remember the 1980s? You want to talk about election meddling? Ted Kennedy was seeking the Democrat presidential nomination in 1980 because everybody in the Democrat Party knew that, that Jimmy Carter was going to get creamed. Carter's first and only term was an absolute disaster. It was an economic and foreign policy disaster. We had to have something called a misery index to actually quantify how bad life in America was under Jimmy Carter. You think interest rates are at 14% interest rate. Try to go get a house and a mortgage at 14% interest rate. Unemployment was over 8%. It was, it was outrageously bad. So Ted Kennedy is running for the Democrat nomination in 1980, and he is in contact with, with Soviet leadership at that point, attempting to work with them to undermine Reagan. It didn't work. Reagan wins in a landslide. 1984, Ted Kennedy does it again. The letters that, that Ted Kennedy sent to the various Soviet leaders who kept dying at that period of time. There was Brezhnev first. That's who Kennedy was first talking to. Uh, and then Yuri Andropov after that. And along came Gorbachev. And there were a couple others in there that lasted two or three days before palace intrigue took them out. But Ted Kennedy is literally promising the Russians, be patient, Work with us to get rid of Ronald Reagan and everything will be back to normal. What do you call that if that's not meddling in a presidential election? None other than Ted Kennedy. There isn't anything new about this. The difference is we didn't know it then. We only know about Ted Kennedy because when the Soviet Union imploded, all those KGB files ended up being released. So we saw the letters that Ted Kennedy wrote and we saw the responses from Brezhnev and Donald to Kennedy. It's undeniable that it happened. It's undeniable that Kennedy did it. In 1980, Ted Kennedy is working with who? The Soviet Union. At that point in time, the leading communist nation in the world. And now in 2020, 40 years later, a guy named Bernie Sanders gets a Democrat presidential nomination. Looks like, anyway, he's leading it. 
And everybody's worried about what's happened to the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party is what it's always been. Ted Kennedy was in bed with Soviet communists to attempt to undermine a Republican president twice. Ronald Reagan. There's nothing unusual about the Democrat Party appearing to nominate Bernie Sanders. The difference is that Sanders is openly honest about it all, and the Democrat Party, for the most part, masks itself and camouflages itself. They began to come out from under the covers during the Obama administration. Look what happened. Look what happened. They, 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 they got creamed by somebody running for president, never even been in the political world before. That'd be Donald Trump. At least he was way outside the political establishment. So this country is in no way interested in communism. There may be some percentage of it that's willing to go for it with crazy Bernie. A lot of it, you know what a lot of crazy Bernie support, not all of it, but a lot of crazy Bernie support is students and uh, suburbanite college graduates who have just drowned in student loan debt. He's promising to forgive it. He's promising to pay it off. He's promising free university tuition. College. Those are the people signing up with crazy Bernie. People are being killed by student loan debt. Who gave us that? Your old buddies at the federal government. They've destroyed a college education and make it so expensive that even if you get a great education, you're going to spend the rest of your life paying off the loan, not getting ahead. So people are fed up. And if some cranky old guy, 78 years old, comes along waving his arms around promising to forgive it, what are you going to do if you don't care about anything else? And then the guy says your health care is going to be free. And then the next thing the guy says that your, uh, your Snickers bars are going to be free. And pretty soon your marijuana is going to be free and legal. Hey, what's not to like about this, they say. Sign me up, and this is what we're going through right now. Now, the Democrat Party running around acting like they're in panic because crazy Bernie's on the verge of winning. I'm telling you, there's nothing different. When Ted Kennedy was the, the lion in the Senate, the figurehead of the Democrat Party, what was he doing? In bed with the, the world's leading communist nation to undermine a duly elected Republican president twice, Rinaldus Magnus. You think the Democrat Party's moved that far left since the days of Ted Kennedy? It hasn't. And all these brilliant columnists and commentators who are apparently shocked at what the crazy Bernie lead and apparent nomination will mean. Oh, my God, this party has become... It's always been this. Yeah, a little frustrated because I've spent how many, how many years trying to get people to understand what liberalism is and that that is what the Democrat Party... This is now an extreme, extreme branch of liberalism called liberalism, socialism, communism, what have you. And now, now there are people... Snurdly has heard this, I haven't. Snurdly told me today that there are beginning to be rumblings, people on our side saying, hey, don't fall for this idea that crazy Bernie is going to lose in a landslide. This is serious stuff. Yeah, it is serious. It is serious. But this country is nowhere near electing somebody like crazy Bernie. But it is scary how many Americans are going to sign up for it. And if, if, if they're not defeated resoundingly and pummeled, they're going to keep growing and growing and growing. So you have to continually inform and educate and fight people on this stuff. It's hideous. Here's, crazy Bernie is out defending Fidel Castro. 
Can I tell you what Crazy Bernie is saying in defending Castro? Because he's getting sensitive. He said Castro had one of the best literacy programs the world has ever seen after his revolution. Can I tell you what the literacy program was? It was Cuban propaganda. It was how great Fidel is. It was how wonderful the revolution is. Is it how you ought to understand why we put traitors in prison? It's why you ought to understand the United States is the reason you don't have any money. The United States and its blockade, which is what Castro called the embargo. His literacy program was nothing but communist propaganda. It wasn't. A literacy program that educated Cubans on the classics. It wasn't a literacy program that taught them how to read so that they could expand their horizons. It was a propaganda program, Crazy Bernie. Saying that Castro had a brilliant literacy program is the same thing as saying that Cuba's got the best health care in the world. How utterly insane... And yet, there's Michael Bohr making a movie about it, with a, about it with a bunch of left-wing American doctors agreeing to it. Yet, not one of them has ever gone there or sent their kids there for medical treatment. In fact, when Castro, do you know what happened to Castro when he almost died? You remember Castro was near death, and they actually announced it, but no, they didn't say why. And this was a couple, maybe four years before he died. Castro had surgery involving his colon and needed a colostomy bag and refused to get it. And he told the Cuban doctor, sew it up, I'm not doing a bag, screw you. So they did, and he got an infection, and he almost died, and they had to call in a bunch of doctors from Spain to deal with the infection because the Cuban healthcare system was totally ill-equipped to do it. And they succeeded, Castro got three or four more years after that. But there, he wasn't going to be some communist leader with a colostomy bag running around, have that rumor hit, have his people see that. There was no way. So he said, you sew it up and fix it. They did. He got an infection, almost died. Doctors from Spain to save his life. You don't see crazy Bernie sending his kids or grandkids or great grandkids, whatever he's got down there. They don't do it. <sighs> Hang on, I just got a notification here. Cool. All right, I got to take a break. We'll be back and continue. And got some people on the phones. Want to get to them and I still have these audio sound bites of Democrats and the media panicking over Bernie winning in uh, in Nevada. So hang on, back with more right after this. Thank you, and welcome back. Here are the details very quickly on the new Rush Limbaugh app on Apple TV. It's a Dittocam app. It's not an entire website app, of course. It's just for Dittocam video, current day, present day, and archived. It was just, uh, we had it in beta for the past month, just posted today, approved over the weekend. There is, if when you go, just search Rush Limbaugh. Don't search Rush or you'll have to, you'll have to scroll through a whole bunch of apps that have the name Rush in them. <clears throat> and there's a bunch of fake Rush apps in there too, but just, just search Rush Limbaugh and it'll be the only one that turns up. And it'll say, get within app purchase. What's that? Russia, you're ripping. No, 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 no. Remember, RushLimbo.com is a membership website. And to get all of the audio and video archives and bunches of other stuff, you have to be a member. There's all kinds of availability, free things on the free side. All of the transcripts of all of the past shows. So it's it's an encyclopedic amount of content, even on the, on the free side. But the in-app purchase for the Apple TV app is simply 
a membership login or a, you know, restore purchase if you're already a member or a become a member is what the in-app purchase is. There's a free video section open to everybody. It's only one section right now. We, we might expand the number of Ditto Cam shows available free. Right now it's a limited number, but we can play with that. Uh, so there is a free section. Everything else requires a 24-7 membership, which will give you the archived Ditto Cam all the way back to the first days of the Ditto Cam. Uh, and you can purchase a subscription through the app. You can choose a month at a time, or you can choose a year, and you'll get four weeks free when you do that. If you already have a 24-7 membership, just use your same login and you're all set. You don't have to buy. When it says in-app purchase, just click on it and log in. Or if there may, there may be a restore purchase option, some apps, Apple will put that on them. If there's a restore purchase, go ahead and, if you're already a member, click on that or just sign into it. Uh, if you're already a 24-7 member, you'll have it. Okay, here's uh, Neil in Orlando. Great to have you on the program, sir. Hello. Hello, Rush. Uh, man, I am, I'm blessed, you know, to have the chance to talk to you. I cannot believe it. So, uh, You were talking about uh, the coronavirus a little bit a while ago, and, and just what's the one thing that disappeared when the coronavirus came out? Well, let me see. One thing that would have just hang on. What what disappeared? What disappeared? What disappeared? Uh, oh, the protests in Hong Kong went away. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a it. that's a big talent on loan from God. That's that sure probably the big one. The protests in Hong Kong. So- that, that's my take from it. I don't know. I, I've got a friend over there that sends me stuff, so, but there's a lot. We don't want to start any conspiracy theories. But let me, let me, can I, I this is, this will be my only time I ever get through to you because I've been calling since 92. And, but I just want to say your talent on loan for God, just in the time I was on hold listening to you, uh, got me to the point where, uh, just wanted to say that Trump got no notice about Russian meddling like Sanders did. So why, why not? I wonder about that. Uh, uh, when Carter was president, my first home buying, I was a first time home buyer, was 13.33%. I'll never forget it. And that was I the know. first time home buyer. I know. I know. That I bought my thing. first shack, you know, at that time and, uh, in Overland Park, Kansas. I had no business buying it. And, but but everybody said, you got to buy, don't rent. You're throwing money away if you rent. So, you know, I my, my one time I became a conformist, it got me. And, and, and it, I didn't want to live in this shack. I never wanted to move into this shack. But it's what I bought, so I had to move into the thing. And, and one I didn't even want people to take me home. I didn't people. I didn't want people to see this shack uh, that I lived in. One day after we're playing, we're playing football, the Chiefs front office, Royals front offices after the baseball season, Thursday afternoon flag football. George Brett's playing, and he offered to take me home. I said, "No, George, I'm fine. I, I didn't want Brett to see where the shack was." Uh, so yeah, thirteen percent interest rate during Carter, and uh, it was it was bad. That's why we had there was actually Carter actually coined the term malaise to describe his own administration and its effect on the American economy. We had the misery index and uh, and all of that. But look back to the coronavirus for just a second. That that is true that the Hong Kong protests. Uh, strangely subsided 
as the news of the coronavirus expanded. And I'll tell you, it is a way, if you are a totalitarian government and you need to control your population, one of the best ways of doing it is unleashing something they think is a deadly disease. And then you, as the dictator, have the safety solutions. And you you have the ability to round people up from their homes and take them to so-called health camps. Be very leery of this, folks. It probably is not what the media is leading you to believe it is. All right, Harvey Weinstein, friend of the Clintons and donor to every Democrat presidential nominee, straight to jail. Five to 29 years is the sentence he has. He's donated to every Democrat nominee. I'm not, I'm not, why make that up? Okay, so what I want to know is who in the Democrat Party is going to lead the Never Bernie movement? Well, they're all out there talking about how bad this is, how disastrous it is. It's going to be the end of the Democrat Party. So who will be the Never Bernie Democrats? And do you think any Never Trumper Republicans might might find it within themselves to become Never Bernie? And I think I think you're right. I think these Never Trump Republicans are so out of it that they would end up Maybe not going for Bernie, but you know, going after some mythical third-party nominee that nobody's ever heard of. But wouldn't you think there'd be some never-Bernie Democrats? I mean, James Carville. James, I know you're out there listening. I know your wife's out there listening. You ought to think about this. James Carville's out there saying he's, he's taking the lead on how disastrous this is going to be. And he's out there actually saying, if you people, if you think that Bernie Sanders isn't going to destroy the Democrat Party, then you are stupid. So Carville would be an excellent never-Bernie. And and we need a never-Bernie movement to go along with a never-Trump movement. Chris Matthews could be never-Bernie, but (laughs) they're already trying to get him thrown out of MSNBC. You see Chris Matthews going over to Fox? No. Don't, not, not, not yet, not yet. Uh, I mean, who could it be? Who could be the Never Bernie? A Clintonista, an Obama sycophant? Uh, Hopefully many. Many Democrats will be vying to lead the Never Bernie movement. You know what created the Never Trump movement? Besides Trump and besides you, there was one, there was one of the greatest columns ever written in this era leading up to the 2016 election by a by a guy from the Claremont Institute who had been working in a number of places named Michael Anton, the Flight 93 election. You remember that piece? It was all about Flight 93 is the flight the passengers took over and crashed into Pennsylvania rather than allowing it to come back and hit its target in Washington. Flight 93 election was, and, and Anton is, is, was a conservative intellectual who did not go never Trumper. He wrote a piece aimed at other 
conservative intellectuals trying to get them to understand what was at stake in this election, 2016. And you remember during that period of time, we were so frustrated because it wasn't just a bunch of conservative intellectuals. It was the mainstream of the Republican Party. They didn't think we were in anywhere near a crisis. Illegal immigration wasn't a crisis. There's no reason the country's threatened. There's no, the Democrat Party's no different than it's always been for 50 years. They just laughed and mocked the idea that America was in a crisis that threatened its survivability as founded. They laughed at that. They mocked it. So the Flight 93 election was an attempt to wake them up. And it was so good. We'll relink to it at RushLimbaugh.com so you can read it. Was, it Anton originally wrote it anonymously. And the, the, the Never Trumpers, who is this? Who is this traitor? Who is this guy that thinks this is the Flight 93? They had tried for months to find out who it was, and it finally leaked. And Anton actually ended up working for a while for the Trump administration uh, the first few months of it. Uh, he's now back to, uh, back to writing. But that piece, that piece was so good. I remember reading it to you on this program, and, and I remember thinking that I remember hoping, I said, I hope that whoever wrote this is a listener. It was so good, I wanted to pretend that I had a role in it. It was that good. And it survives. It is still that good. It is still a call to arms in action. Probably even more so now with Bernie Sanders as the likely Democrat nominee. So we'll go get it, and we'll we'll um, uh, link to it at Rush Limbaugh. I, I Coco probably already has it up there, and if not, it'll be up there in a mere matter of moments. But really worth you revisiting <clears throat> if you uh, don't remember it or if you missed it the first time it came out. It was during the 2016 campaign season, but it just infuriated. It infuriated the Never Trumpers because it was aimed right at them. By the way, audio soundbite number 20, this is the New York DA, Cyrus Vance Jr., District Attorney, New York City, Manhattan DA. He had a press conference to talk about the Harvey Weinstein verdicts. Here is a portion of what he said. Dawn Dunning, Miriam Haley, Jessica Mann, Annabella Shora, Tarale Wolf, Lauren Young, Megan Hast, Joan Eluzi Orbon. Eight women who have changed the course of history in the fight against sexual violence. These are eight women who pulled our justice system into the 21st century by declaring that rape is rape and sexual assault is sexual assault no matter what. Now, come on, Cy. The idea that we didn't know what rape was rape until this. You know, this is what bugs me about these people. So here's this guy obviously pandering to women. DA is an elected position. guy pandering to women. Praising these. And I, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. Don't misunderstand. But the idea that this, that this culture doesn't know what rape was. And that people got away with it all the time until now. 
This is a kind of it's a disservice to young people who are not being taught proper history. Uh, sexual assault is sexual assault no matter what. Rape is rape no matter what. It's always been a, a challenging thing to prove. Um, but anyway, I just this this kind of pandering and grandstanding would be just a little bit too much. Okay, the drive-by media, the Democrats in full-fledged meltdown because of crazy Bernie and his walloping victory in the Nevada caucuses. There's a montage. We have George Stephanopoulos, James Carville, the former Chicago mayor, Rahm Emanuel, Bunch of people from MSNBC, bunch of people from NBC. Speaking of, do you know, do you know that Chuck Todd rented a house he owned to Amy Klobuchar for a whole bunch of years? Something like $3,700 a month rent that Klobuchar and her husband lived in this house while she's a senator. And there's F. Chuck out there interviewing her all these years on Meet the Depressed and now the Democrat campaign and didn't think to mention once. By the way, full disclosure, Klobuchar is helping me invest money in my real estate properties because she rents from me 3700 bucks a month. You think it might have been helpful for people to know that. But F. Chuck Todd didn't seem to think it was necessary to mention. Neither did Amy Klobuchar. So anyway, here is the montage. Bernie Listen. Sanders is at the top of the ticket that the Democrats could lose the House. If you're voting for him because you think he'll win the election politically, you're a fool. This has been tried. We just saw it in Great Britain. Jeremy Corbyn went down dramatically. Sounds a lot like political suicide. Democrats need to sober up. The Democrats won't win unless the ticket reflects the center Democrats that go through the five stages of grief. Sanders may have crushed the hopes of a Democratic establishment desperate to stop him. The fall of France in the summer of 1940, and the general, Renault, calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Churchill said, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? He said, it's over. That's, that's that comment Matthews made, and now they want him to resign or be fired from MSNBC. He's comparing Sanders's victory to the German takeover of France, the brown shirts in uh, in World War II. But let's look at some of these comments. Uh, Stephanopoulos, Bernie Sanders, top of the ticket. The Democrats could lose the House. By the way, James Clyburn of the Congressional Black Caucasians in South Carolina, he's the Democrat majority whip in the House, and he's expecting he's going to endorse Plugs. Plugs is leading in South Carolina. Uh, but Clyburn's saying the same thing, that if, if Bernie Sanders is a nominee, we Democrats could lose the House of Representatives. Rahm Emanuel, this has been tried. We just saw it in Great Britain. Jeremy Corbyn went down to We've seen it everywhere, Rahm. We've seen it in Cuba. We've seen it in Venezuela. We've seen it everywhere socialism has been tried. But I'm going to tell you how crazy Bernie does this. I'm going to tell you how all socialists do this, how they seduce people in uh, in just a minute. But the, the thing that I want to keep pounding at you, I don't think that Bernie is that big an outlier. Now, I know he's not a Democrat. This is the funny thing. The Democrat nominee may not even be a Democrat. He is an avowed socialist. He does not. He votes with the Democrats, but he's not a registered Democrat. 
And Bloomberg isn't either. Bloomberg is a Republican. Democrats may end up nominating somebody who's not even a Democrat. But the, the, the idea that Bernie's an outlier, he isn't. He's right side by side with Ted Kennedy. Crazy Bernie honeymooned in the Soviet Union. Ted Kennedy worked with the Soviet Union to try to undermine Ronald Reagan in the 1980s. Here's Paul Krugman of the New York Times. Now, this guy is heralded as one of the premier, most brilliant economists in the world. He's an idiot. He said after Trump was elected that we would go automatically into a recession, maybe a depression, an economic collapse, the likes of which the country may not recover from. Where are we? We are in one of the greatest roaring economies in this country in 50 years. Krugman should have been discredited and embarrassed and cast aside. But no, he's still out there like Paul Ehrlich, writing the population bomb back in 1976, dead wrong about every ecological prediction he made, still a hero to the left, as Krugman is. He was, uh, he was on, uh, let's see, syndicated TV program called Democracy Now! Today. Amy Goodman of the New York Times, co-hosting, said, why do you say Bernie Sanders is not a socialist? Bernie says he loves Denmark. I love Denmark. I think Denmark is an illustration of how decent a society can be. The Danes don't think that they're socialists. They think that they're social democrats. They don't use the word socialist. You say that you're for universal health care. They say, that's socialist. You say you're for universal child care. They say, think about how many people Stalin killed. You know, it's this crazy stuff. So why use the word? Why describe yourself? I think it's kind of self-indulgent to call yourself a socialist and give the Republicans unnecessary ammunition. I'm for the same kinds of policies. Why buy into the Republican effort to make this sound like something Stalin would do? Because it's what it is. So Paul Krugman essentially saying, I'm for everything Bernie's for, but he shouldn't use the word socialist because it makes it sound like something Stalin would do. That is the Democrat Party in a nutshell. That's my exact point. That they have been radical leftists for as long as I've been doing this show. Those of you who have been listening to this program since the beginning are very near it. No, I've been consistent as I can be. I've never wavered on this. I mean, to the point that I bet sometimes you thought I was a little off my rocker with some of the analysis I was making about them, but they are full-fledged. This environmental wacko movement. You realize this thing got started, folks, in 1987, 88, right when I was leaving Sacramento to move to New York to start the show? The anti-nuke movement has been around long before the peace movement, long before this program began. The left is who they are. The Democrat Party is their home. And Krugman has just admitted it here. To him, though, you don't use the word. You don't use the word because it makes people think of Stalin. Let me ask this. Of people alive in America today, how many of them even know what Stalin did? American education covers for communists like you can't believe. How many people in this country do you think? Well, I'll I'll remind you of something. There was a poll, actually a survey, of high school students up to age 24, high school, college students from like 18, 16 to 24. Only 20% had ever heard of Stalin and didn't know anything about him. 
and 30% had heard of Mao Zedong. So 70% never heard of Mao, 80% never heard of Stalin. When that survey came out, I happened to be at a charity golf tournament that was being sponsored by a local private school of very high-performing kids. So I did my own survey. They were at every tee box. They were, you know, helping tournament along. Every time I ran into a couple of them. They said, by the way, can you tell me who uh, Mao Zedong was? Oh, let's see. He's a Tiananmen Square guy, right? Mm, no, not the Tiananmen Square. I'm sure he was there, but not the Tiananmen Square that you're thinking of. Stalin, no clue. No clue whatsoever. They have no idea Stalin mass murdered his own citizens and that, that Mao Zedong did the same thing. No knowledge of it. So Paul Krugman here is worried. I don't think we should be calling ourselves socialists. It makes it sound like something Stalin was. Don't worry, Paul. You guys have erased Stalin, Stalin from, from history books. No concern there. Brief time out. Much more straight ahead right after this. Having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have El Rushbo, your guiding light. It's America's real anchorman. Okay, Naugatuck, Connecticut, Patty. I'm glad you waited. You're up next. It's great to have you here with us. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you, sir. Hi, um, ma'am. I was um, listening to Bernie, and, you know, I, I find this somewhat very disingenuous. And uh, I find what people don't know really could hurt the rest of us. But he's been talking about Denmark. It is not a socialist country, and they don't want to be called a socialist country. They are a very advanced society. They have advanced, you know, pharmaceuticals, renewable energy. They are what's considered a modern market economy. They do. They have very strict on immigration. They have a very good quality of life. They have a high GDP. They also um, nothing, you know, is truly free in society. But they they have uh, policies in that country. Now wait a minute, I'm, I'm confused. Are you advocating for Denmark and thinking that Bernie should? Well, I think Bernie. When I think of Bernie, I think of Venezuela. I think of shared misery. I think that Bernie to to me would be food is a luxury, toilet paper is a luxury, and Denmark has a very high quality of life. So when he's selling his socialist agenda, which is more like communism. They, it is not representative of what Denmark is like. All right. Well, I'll take that. And rather than get into an argument with you about Denmark, which would not be useful and fun or worthwhile, I'm going to take something. I'm going to take another element of your phone call and use it to explain why socialism ends up being so appealing. One of the things, one of the reasons is an overall degree of ignorance. But I'll stipulate that. The trick to selling socialism, Marxism, communism is to stick to platitudes. Whatever you do, don't get specific because then you nail yourself down. Stick to selling things like making injustice right. The righting of wrongs. Reversing injustice. Delivering fairness. Stay at the intersection of Broad Avenue and Vague Street. To sell socialism and communism, you cannot get specific. You have to speak in platitudes. I mean, after all, who can argue with justice? Who can argue with fairness? 
Don't let them figure out that what your campaign is really about is anger and envy and hatred and control. That is what's propelling Bernie supporters. You take a look at them. They think Bernie is all about getting even with somebody and making somebody pay for having more, for doing more, for being better, what have you. But you must, above all things, stay away from details. You have to stay away from how much your fairness will cost. You have to stay away from things like the rights that you will lose in the process of the government gaining control. You stay away from the fact that you're going to be taking people's private property away from them. That's not feel-good rhetoric. So you avoid all details. Like calling indoctrination a literacy program. Propaganda, a literacy program. Back here in just a second. Welcome back. 800-282-2882. If you want to be on the program, the email address is rushbow at eibnet.us. I'll get back to the phones in just a second. I want to... I want to mention a name to you, Rick Grinnell, Richard Grinnell. He has been named by President Trump to take over the job Director National Intelligence. He's also Trump's ambassador to Germany. He will remain Trump's ambassador to Germany while remaining acting director National Intelligence. This is the job James Clapper had for Obama. The Director of National Intelligence oversees every intelligence agency, from the CIA to the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, to the National Security Agency, the NSA. There's a bunch of them. And the DNI is actually a clearinghouse and collection point for all the intel that is raised. This is why Clapper had a key role with uh, John Brennan, the CIA director, in running the silent coup against President Trump. Now, the acting director that he replaced had to leave because acting directors can only serve for so long. You can't put an acting director in forever. They have to, at some point, be confirmed. So Grinnell will not be there forever. I don't know if Trump is going to try to make him permanent or not, but he does have a limited amount of time to get things done. His job is to clear out every never-Trumper he can find. Trump has finally gotten serious about this. You know what happened? I'll tell you what happened. I now know what happened. Trump... Wins in 2016, and it was a bruising battle. There were you know, never Trump Republicans, and ever the Paul Ryan establishment Republicans didn't like Trump. And Trump attempted to forge an alliance by putting some establishment Republicans in his administration, and even some never Trumpers. Remember, I met with Trump for the first time after his election in February. It was it was here at Mar-a-Lago. And, and pardon me if you've heard the story, but remember, we have people tuning in for the first time every every hour on this program. And I'll never forget, I met with him for an hour while walking all through Mar-a-Lago. Reince Priebus and Steve Bannon were with him. And he said that one of the things that surprised him, this is a month into his administry, one of the things that surprised him 
was he thought that after this much time, after a month, that we'd be well on the way to unity in the country, not just with the Republicans. And I was floored. I was flabbergasted. But I shouldn't have been. Trump loves everybody, and he wants to be appreciated and loved by as many as possible. I looked at him and I said, sir, they are always going to hate you. They are never going to love you. That, it, it, Please, it's, that's not going to happen. These people are not going to stop trying to undermine you. I was talking primarily about media and the left. And he, he looked disappointed when I told him this. At any rate, he really tried to forge a common ground alliance, at least on the Republican side, with the people whose noses were out of joint and who had worked against him. And he did this for a couple of years. And he, he was very obviously very patient with it. And now he's had it. He's had it with all of it. And that's what Rick Grinnell is in there to do. Rick Grinnell, and he will do it. Rick Grinnell is what he's Harvard educated, but that's not a deterrent in this case. He's one of the most accomplished and one of the most brilliant achieved people. He is the, I'm just going to, he is perfect for this job. Temporary director, national intelligence, go in there, get rid of like the people that testified against Trump. There are so many moles that are still in there. And you know, you hear Trump talking about wanting to really reduce the staff, the White House West Wing staff. He doesn't need as many people as ex-presidents because he doesn't, he's not undecided on so much. He knows what he wants to do on a whole lot of things. He doesn't need 15 advisors, position papers and all this. He doesn't need a bunch of moles in there undermining him and writing anonymous pieces in the Washington Post saying, don't worry, there's still some adults in here and we're making sure Trump won't do any damage. This stuff frosts him. Grinnell is going to find out who these people are. And in addition to that, Grinnell is going to is going to set up the uh, intelligence community in a way that's beneficial to the country and to Trump, as it should be. Now, we may not hear of individuals canned, let go, what have you, unless they speak up. But I just wanted to let you know, if you've heard about, if you've heard the name Grinnell, if you've heard about his appointment, I just want to tell you it's one of the best things Trump could have done. And I want to tell you one thing else about Grinnell. He is gay. And it doesn't matter a hill of beans to me or anybody else who is supporting him in anything that he's doing. Why did you have to mention that? Because... I just want everybody to know that this guy, he's, he's openly, he's not a, it's, it's not a secret. It isn't a big deal. Now, let's see if the drive-by media runs a series of story, stories on my supporting this guy and his work. I know it's not going to happen, but I just you put it out there. Keep a sharp eye. Rick Grinnell, he's really... Uh, Ambassador Germany, now acting director national intelligence. This is this is this is awesome. Even the timing, you might think it's a day late, dollar short. It's happening in an election year. It is. It's a good thing to happen, no matter when. 
it happens. Here's Jim in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Jim, great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello. Good afternoon, and Mega Ditto's on your healing. Um, my question is, now that they got Weinstein, when are they going to go after his enablers? Uh, the Oprahs, the Clintons, the uh, all the Hollywood people who introduced these so-called starlets to him to get their job. When do his- well, you know, this is a, this is actually a very perceptive, insightful question. How much do you know about Harvey Weinstein before you heard his name mentioned in this? Not a bit. Okay, well, let me tell you about the guy. He and his brother Bob formed a company named after their parents, Miramax, Miriam and Max, and that was Miramax Motion Pictures. And they produced independent films, and and some of them were some of the classiest pieces of work you've ever seen. People could not believe that this schlub Weinstein could possibly produce such art. I'm using their definitions for art, their definitions of quality. His some of his, not all of them, but some of the movies were really, really good. They were always like Cider House Rules, pro-abortion. Um, they were always, if there was a political aspect, they were always leftist. But Weinstein, aside from his effort, and, and Miramax was eventually bought out by Disney, and they lost control of it, so they set up a brand new company, he and his brother, called uh, uh, what Weinstein Pictures or something. But he was hated. He was despised and feared. He was one of the biggest bullies Hollywood ever knew. He was the guy, and he wasn't the first, but he took lobbying and paying for Oscars to a new level. He took open political associations and donations to a new level. He was side by side with Bill and Hillary Clinton, and he might have been on, on, on Jeffrey Epstein's jet a bunch of times. I don't know. He was side by side with Barack Obama. This guy was given money to Democrats left and right, and he was expecting all kinds of policy paybacks for it, including access. And I'll never forget when, when the portraits of Bill and Hillary were unveiled and I think it was still the first year of the George W. Bush administration. This is an annual, it's a thing. The previous president's portrait's always unveiled after he leaves office. So whoever succeeds Trump is going to have to host that ceremony when Trump's official portrait for the White House is unveiled. There's Harvey Weinstein in the front row. At the Bill and Hillary Clinton. So the question when are his enablers going to be held to a, is valid? You have no idea what a big, important question this is, Jim. Because everybody knew how Harvey Weinstein operated and worked. Every, Harvey Weinstein defines ugly. Can we be honest? In, in the feminist world, Harvey Weinstein is the pig. But actresses have to work. Actresses want to work. With Harvey Weinstein, he's not alone. With Harvey Weinstein, there are certain things you had to do. And one of the things you had to do, you had to make the pilgrimage to his hotel suite in Beverly Hills. 
I've stayed in that suite. I have been in the rooms where all that happened. I pro- Yes, I have. I didn't know it at the time. Don't, don't misunderstand this. I was not... The point is, that's an added bit of information absolutely irrelevant and useless to you. Just, just pointing it out. fact is, they all knew. Everybody there knew. They were scared to death. Because of who Harvey knew in the political world, they were scared because Harvey himself was known to use every bit of his power as a Hollywood mogul to damage. So he was, they were classically, so when you say his, like you mentioned Oprah, I don't think Oprah was so much an enabler as she was scared to death of him and trying to stay on his good side. Well, let me ask you, Mr. Do you think do you think Oprah Winfrey actually helped enable Harvey Weinstein's sexual abuse of actresses? You think she that's what she was doing, or was she just not speaking up because she's scared to death? Look, Oprah doesn't want this kind of controversy anyway. She's studiously avoided all of this kind of stuff. Her entire Oprah cries for crying out loud. She takes platitudinous positions on left-wing issues like crazy burning and socialists do. She never gets specific. And when things aren't going well, she gives the audience a car. Don't doubt me. So is Oprah, were the Clintons enablers? Well, the, the Clintons certainly knew what was going on. They didn't get Bill Clinton, I will guarantee, well, I can't guarantee. What are the odds Clinton on some occasions wasn't far away, like down the hall. Well, I don't know who was procuring for who, but when when money is being exchanged back and forth, both parties accept something for it, expect something for it. Now, Oprah, you know, I'm trying to be charitable. Snurdly's looking at me like I'm an idiot when I say I don't think she's so much as an enabler. She was afraid. Everybody was scared of Harvey. Everybody was scared of Harvey Weinstein. In that business, at the time he ran it, you could be in or out of it. And this is why there's so much desire for this guy to get his. This is why he was the focus of this Me Too movement. Anyway, I take a brief time. I just saw the clock. I'm a little long here, folks. The next segment will be a little shorter than usual, just so you know. El Rushbo talent on loan from God. And as usual, half my brain tied behind my back. Just to be fair, this is Deborah in upstate New York, somewhere there in the wild wilderness. Great to have you with us. Hi. Thank you very much. Um, I'm a lifetime Democrat, and I switched in 2016. I voted for Trump. I'm 67 years old. Hang on. Hang my- on. Hang on. Yeah, did you did yeah. you did you switch parties become Republican or vote for Trump as a Democrat? I voted for Trump as a Republican. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, frankly, I I couldn't vote for Clinton, but that's another story. Anyway, most of my friends obviously are liberals, and they had a visceral hatred for Trump. And at first, they wanted no parts of Bernie. But now that he's gained momentum. I see them working hard to justify to themselves voting for him and their lobbying friends. And these are not millennials. Um, these are middle-aged people, remnants from the 60s and 70s, people who had said they wouldn't vote at all if it was Bernie. 
So they're lobbying them with passionate and reasoned, and I put that in quotes, arguments to find comfort in voting for a socialist. And I have to say, I see it working. Well, uh, I'm not surprised. You're talking about remnants, people who are remnants from the 1960s. Bernie Sanders is exactly that. This is another bit of evidence, folks, why I continue to assert that Bernie is not an outlier in the Democrat Party, that he is rather a mainstream member, even though he doesn't call himself a Democrat. The Democrats have been tending towards socialism my entire adult career here. And you're seeing evidence of it. These people, they're just they're just coming home when they find this stuff familiar. Well, what's interesting, and and this speaks to your point, is that the way they're doing the reasoning that they're using is that they're asking the question, how different are Bernie's views compared to what we as Democrats have been fighting for? And that's what they're saying. They're worried about health care, the environment, threat to women's right to choose. And then the biggest issue that they grab a hold to is this idea that Donald Trump is destroying the country. And, you know, the more articulate of them point to his court appointments um, from a liberal's point of view understandable and they are very very worried about another supreme court justice they damn well ought to be they've already lost the ninth circuit court of appeals and don't know it yet are you worried they have lost the ninth circus we can't call it the ninth circus anymore because trump has converted it it's almost a conservative court they're right to be concerned about the supreme court but one thing else they're doing another you know bernie's no different than trump they're the same candidate. One was in 2016 and one is 2020. They're trying to draw an equivalence of two outsiders. That's so bogus. I have to nuke that, too. I'm glad you called, though, Deborah. Out of time. Sorry. Back with more in a moment. Let me let me put it to you this way. How different is Bernie Sanders from your average university professor, particularly the Ivy League or some other institution of higher learning? How much different he's not? He's identical. He's what you get in the faculty lounge. Particularly to platitudes. Hang on. Coming right back. Hi. Welcome back. Great to have you with us, my friends. The EIB Network and Rush Limbaugh here behind the golden EIB microphone. Telephone number if you want to join us here on our final busy broadcast hour. 800-282-2882. And the email address is lrushbow at eibnet.us. Now, let me. One of the things that I am trying to be vigilant about and and remain guarded about it's it's very easy, it's very seductive to start joking, and it's okay too to, to do this to have fun and laugh at crazy Bernie and uh, who he is and how he appears and when he gesticulates and waves his arms and so forth. He comes across as a harmless, innocent uh, old guy, and he is the exact opposite because there's nothing harmless or innocent about what he believes. And it's it's tempting that I take him seriously. I mean, I get every story I have in the stack is one way or another related to how the Democrat Party scared to death that he's going to get the nomination because it's instant death. And what they mean is that it that they're trying to convince everybody that Sanders as the identifier, as the face of the Democrat Party is going to destroy it. They're not so much talking about, I don't think, um, the election. I, I, I know I'm in a, in a small boat on this. 
but I, there's, a, there's a part of me that's, that literally wonders if the Democrats actually do want to win in 2020, the presidents of the White House. As I, you know, when I went through the, after the Hawkeye Caucus in New Hampshire, the top three, and I went through and analyzed all the three, and that's where this controversy over Buddha judge came from. I was, I was examining him for the way Democrats, Democrat establishment bosses were trying to look at what they had with Bernie on top and then Buddha judge. And then I guess it was Warren. I don't know. <clears throat> Point is that their their formulation, their strategy may be who would they rather lose with. Now, I'm telling you, in 1984, they knew they were going to get trounced by Reagan. They knew they were heading to a massive landslide. They didn't want to nominate anybody in their party that had a future because they didn't want to kill the future of whoever they thought in their party had one. So they put Mondale up there. He'd been a loyal VP for Jimmy Carter. He'd been a loyal Democrat warhorse. He'd been a great fundraiser, but he was never going to win. But he always wanted to be president. So they arranged for Mondale to be the nominee. Now, 1984 was my first Democrat convention. I've been to two of them. One at uh, Madison Square Garden, had a lot of fun with that one, had purple Kool-Aid for them as they arrived at Madison Square Garden that year, and 1984 San Francisco. And I remember going to all of the cocktail parties, and I was, I was working for a radio station in Kansas City at the time, so I was spending most of the time with the Missouri delegation, and there was a... A huge Democrat power broker from Sykeston, Missouri, 30 30 miles south of my hometown, Cape Girardeau. And this guy was very friendly to me because he knew my family. And he didn't yet know what kind of conservative ideologue I was. Knew I was a Republican, but he didn't know much else. I mean, I'm 1984, I'm 33 years old, and I haven't even started a show like this yet. But I'll never, this guy said, let me tell you, we're close here, Rush. We're close. You spot me 70 electoral votes and we can win this election. I said, spot you 70 electoral votes. So you really only need to win 200 is what you're telling me, that you got 70 in the back. No, no, Rush. I'm saying you spot me 70, we can win this thing. That told me everything. They knew they were going to get trounced. Nobody talks like, you spot me 70 electoral votes so we can win this thing. So they knew they were going to get trounced. And I'm asking myself, do they have this kind of thinking going on this year? Because, folks, somewhere in the bowels of this party, there is somebody in this party that knows that Donald Trump is not the ogre that they have tried to make everybody believe he is. There's somebody in that Democrat party. I don't know who and I don't know where, but there's somebody in that party who knows that Trump is formidable and probably is going to win big. So if you're the Democrat party 
And if you really think that you're going to lose, because incumbent presidents rarely lose. George H.W. Bush is one of the rare incumbent presidents to actually ever lose. And Trump has peace and prosperity. He has a personality that no Democrat can match. He draws 125,000 people to a rally in India. Uh, it's, It's just... It's inescapable. And they know what Trump is doing with these rallies and his fundraising and, and the fact they know how many Democrats are, are signing up to vote for Trump. So their question is, who do they want to lose with? I think, and I'll put as a caveat, I could be dead wrong on this. And I know that there are some of them, believe me, they're so deranged that they think they can win. And they think they can win with Socialism and communism, they could win with Bernie. So the, the, the party is an absolute mess. And when you listen to the standard bearers like Carville and Rahm Emanuel, all the old, what you think of as the standard day-to-day normal Democrats, the way they talk, this is the end of the party. Jim Clyburn, chairman of Congressional Black Caucasians, he thinks that if Bernie's a nominee, they're not only going to lose the White House, they're going to lose the House. They're going to lose everything. So if they're thinking this way, they have to be asking themselves, how do they want to lose? Do they want to lose? And do they want socialism and communism as identifiers of their party to lose? Or do they want to try to win with it? Because that's really the question they face, because Bernie Sanders is a communist. He is a social. When you listen to what he says he's going to do, I am telling you, we, in fact, this election, if he's the nominee, this is something that I, in the past, have actually longed for. I have longed for the starkest choice possible for the American people, because I want socialism and communism to be defeated as possibilities in this country, and with Donald Trump as a Republican, and he's not a conservative ideologue, but I'll tell you what, what Trump has learned and the way he's been treated, he's becoming more instinctively conservative than anybody I know. Look at the judges that he's appointing. Look at the people that he's listening to. Rick Grinnell is a great conservative, the guy he's running, director of national intelligence for him. So you've got We've got the essence of conservatism, which has created the last three years of an economic boom. American public expressed satisfaction at record highs. Direction of country's going record high. Trump's approval numbers record high. So we've got that. And what are the Democrats going to throw against it? Socialism and communism. I say bring it on. Let's finally have this side-by-side choice and let's let... The American people, once and for all, send socialism and communism to the ash heap in America. Now, the Democrats know this. Do they want to lose with somebody who is their future? Who is their future in this list of nominees? Buttigieg would be one who is their future. I don't know, Focahontas, maybe, but she's not demoing. She can, what? 
Well, no, but she's done now. She's done now, but age-wise, she's not finished. But Plugs is not the future. Crazy Bernie isn't the future. So why not, if you're going to lose, lose with one of them? Now, there was a time they thought they could win with Biden when they were delusional about their belief that half the country or more hated Trump. Now, there are some in the party who think they can win with socialism and communism. And that's why, yeah, I haven't mentioned Bloomberg yet. Bloomberg is of the belief that the Democrat Party is finished if Crazy Bernie's a nominee. But we're getting to a point where Bloomberg can't stop it if he spent all $60 billion of his money because it's about delegates and he doesn't have any. And Crazy Bernie's going to have an insurmountable lead of them after Super Tuesday. So I still think that the battle within the Democrat Party is going to be between people who think socialism and communism can win. And in that group, you're going to have people who think that that means free education, no student loans, free Starbucks, whatever else they want, free homes, and they're going to vote for Crazy Bernie. But I think something isn't going to change. Turnout among the millennial and younger demographics is going to be low, as it always is, despite the hopes and dreams of the drive-by media. Every election, they say the young are going to put the Democrats over the top, and it never happens, because the turnout never matches expectations. And it's it's running true to form in their primaries. The young are not showing up here in these primaries. There are more people showing up to vote for Trump in uncontested primaries than are showing up in these Democrat races. Now, there was record turnout for Crazy Bernie, in Nevada. But that's because they saw what happened in uh, in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa. There's a little more of that. But this, this looming contrast, there are some, in fact, there's, there's a piece today in uh, the American Greatness. Actually, it ran yesterday. It's by Eric Lendrum. And uh, his his column is the headline, the showdown between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders increasingly seems likely, but the truth is it was always inevitable. What he means is that at some point in this country, we're going to have a choice. Socialism, communism, or freedom. And it may be that that choice is this year. So the question becomes or remains, what percentage of Democrat power brokers want socialism and communism to lose because they don't want their party branded as such? Not that they want socialism and communism to lose because they are rejected on substance, because that is the Democrat Party. This is the tr- the problem they've got is that they can say all day long that Bernie's an outlier and that Bernie's going to destroy the party. But Bernie is their party. Bernie is. that he His policies, are they're indistinguishable. Well, wait a minute, Rush. Crazy Bernie's for Medicare for... Yep, so is Elizabeth Warren. You had two Democrats that want to take away private health insurance. 150 million Americans get their health insurance at work and they like it. Both Bernie Sanders and Focahontas will take that away from you. 
Medicare for All is not Medicare expanded. Medicare for All is a brand new system that does not yet exist. It's a branding art of deception technique. Medicare for All is nothing more than government-run single-payer health care. It's not expanding Medicare as it exists to everybody, including those under 65. That's how it's been branded. Mayor Pete... Mayor Pete and, and, and the things that Bernie wants to do. Let me, in fact, let me get a quote. I got a tweet here from, uh, from Mayor Pete where he kind of demonstrates, he unintentionally explains that there are no moderate Democrats. Let me read to you this tweet. Now, Mayor Pete is trying to pass himself off as a moderate, right? But I don't think there's anything moderate about Mayor Pete. I think he is just another extremist who speaks in moderate tones. He shares Bernie Sanders' ideals. Can I read to you the tweet? Pete Buttigieg, we're just a few votes from Senator Sanders, whom I respect and whose ideals we share, but who has a very different approach, getting an insurmountable lead. We're just a few votes from from Senator Sanders getting an insurmountable lead, but he says... He respects Senator Sanders and shares his ideals. Well, I'm sorry, uh, Mayor Pete, then that kind of cancels you out as a moderate if you share his ideals because Bernie's not moderate. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue with much more right after this. Go ahead, folks. You can admit it. You are addicted to this show. It's EIB. Once you get it, you are cured. It's an airborne phenomenon spread by casual and broadcast signal contact. Now, what was that? What about the millennium? What happens? Okay. All right. Here we go. So, Mr. Mr. Snoodley said, what happens to millennials? If they invest fully in crazy Bernie because he's going to wipe out their student loans and make sure they never have to pay another thing at Starbucks or wherever, and then he loses, what are they going to do? What's going to happen to the millennial? What, what do you mean? What are they? Gonna, what does anybody do after their candidate loses an election? Well, yeah. What are the millennials going to do? Go back to grandma's home or father and dad, mother and mom's home and get back in the pajamas and start tweeting anonymous insults at people? What are they going to do? You know why? Why does you think they might leave the Democrat Party? You you think if Crazy Bernie loses, that it might sh- so shake. The millennials, they might be end up disillusioned with the whole Democrat Party and all their promises are never going to have to say, screw it. We're going to do what? Become Republicans? Third pardon. Uh, you know, that is a question that we can deal with when and if it happens. But whatever, you know, I'm not going to change what I want to happen because what the millennials might do when they lose. That's the last thing. Oh, we can't have Trump. Can't have Trump win. That would mean the millennials lose, and then what are we going to do? Screw that. You think I'm going to be concerned what the millennials are going to do? That's not going to change a thing about whether who I want to win changes. Uh, no, the Democrats are not going to be destroyed. No, the Republicans are never going to be destroyed. Um, but... 
Democrat Party loses this election, depending on how they lose it, they could be shell-shocked and rocked for a generation. Because if, 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 you know, the more important question, what happens to them if they, if they lose a significant amount of the black vote to Trump, if they lose a significant amount of the Hispanic vote to Trump, that's, that's a bigger question for the Democrats and what happens if a bunch of spoiled, rotten millennials don't get their way. That's how they've grown up. Nothing new about that. Greetings and welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh. Documented to be almost, always right, 99.8% of the time. The Iowa Democrat Party is going to recount caucus results from 23 precincts. Believe it or not, now this story ran uh, three days ago, and I've not seen an update from it. They're still trying to figure out who won Iowa three weeks after the Hawkeye Hawkeye on February 3rd. And this is because both uh, Crazy Bernie and Mayor Pete have demanded recounts. In fact, Mayor Pete and his campaign have questioned his third-place finish in Nevada. And they've called for the state's Democrat Party to release a more detailed breakdown of the votes and address reports, more than 200 problems allocating votes in Saturday's caucuses in Nevada. Have you ever seen this much in dispute? Seems like every Democrat primary caucus, what have you, somebody's upset. Now, Crazy Bernie, Crazy Bernie is a Jewish guy. He's atheist, however, so he's... I guess you have to call him, and he's, he's, he's an atheist Jewish guy. Now, Crazy Bernie yesterday announced that he's not going to attend the pro-Israel American Israel Public Affairs Committee's annual conference, APAC. They hold, they hold it in early March every year. And Crazy Bernie says he's not going to go. He also, in addition to saying he wasn't going to go, he blasted APAC for its bigotry against the Palestinians. The same Palestinians that want to wipe Israel off the map. Crazy Bernie tweeted, I remain concerned about the platform APAC provides for leaders who express bigotry and oppose basic Palestinian rights. For that reason, I'm not going to attend their conference. No, it shouldn't be surprising to anybody because Crazy Bernie is an atheist. So he has no loyalties of any kind to Judaism or Israel. Uh, He honeymooned happily in the Soviet Union in 1988 when they were still sending Jewish people to gulags. And now Crazy Bernie is supported by anti-Semites. From Linda Sarsour to Alexandro Ocasio-Cortez and the rest of the squad. APAC has hit back at Crazy Bernie hard over the odious... See, this... Now, this is the kind of thing that's going to really trouble Democrats. APAC is a major, major, major donor concern. And here is the guy who appears to be the likely presidential nominee trashing them. 
If you want to find out, by the way, why the people like Rahm Emanuel and these others, Carville, are going after Crazy Bernie, follow some money. It's not the only reason here, but Crazy Bernie could result in a whole bunch of donor rivers drying up. Because he's out there insulting so much of the Democrat Party establishment. Here is James Clyburn, Congressional Black Caucasians. He was on this week with George Stephanopoulos yesterday. He was asked this question. If Bernie Sanders is a nominee, do you think it could put the Democrat House majority in danger? A lot of people think so. I do believe it will be an extra burden for us to have to carry. Uh, This is South Carolina, and South Carolinians are pretty leery about that title, socialist. And so I think that that would be a real burden for us in these states or congressional districts that we have to do well in. And in those districts, it's going to be tough to hold on to these jobs uh, if you have to uh, make the case uh, for accepting uh, a self-proclaimed democratic socialist. He's not calling himself a democratic socialist. That's what you guys are doing. He's calling himself a... So he does not call himself a Democrat. Now, they might use the term Democrat socialism to disguise what they make it look like they're talking Denmark or some such thing. But I'm going to go... You can expect it, folks. Prepare to get blue in the face because I'm going to be reminding everybody every day that there is no difference between Democrat socialism and the Democrat Party. They have been... What else is it? These people believe in growing the government and never stopping growing the government. These are the people who believe you don't have the sense to spend your own money the right way. These are the people that want to turn as many Americans into victims as they can. These are the people. This is the party that wants as many people to be angry at America, to have one grievance after another. To feel victimized by some aspect of America or capitalism, Democrat Party wants to be the party to go in and say, we will protect you from these evil Republicans, conservatives, and capitalists. I want somebody to tell me how it is. When Carville and these other guys run around, this is the worst thing that ever happened to Democrat Party. Party, party going to cease to exist. Crazy burning number. I don't see the difference in the party. And Bernie, I want one of you to tell me the difference. Democrat nominees in these debates, candidates in these debates, universal health care, every hand goes up. Support for illegal immigrants to, to get away with breaking the law, every hand goes up. There isn't a moderate Democrat party that's going to win anything. Here is, uh, let's go back to vote. Chris, San Diego, great to have you. So I'm glad you waited. I really appreciate your patience. Thank you. Hi, Rush. Hi. I've been along, I uh, grew up listening to you with my mom. And my question today, or my, I want to get your opinion on, I read about Sotomayor's uh, dissent probably last Thursday or Friday. And it seems very overly political to me, almost like she has Trump derangement syndrome or something. But and where is just Chief Justice Roberts uh, comments? You know, that he talked about there is no 
Obama judges or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be eating those words uh, at some point. He's gonna have to. We don't have Obama judges. We don't have Bush judges. We don't have Trump judges. We have great judges. We have wonderful judges. Georgia judges that do the law. We have judges that don't write the law. We are, he's gonna eat those words. But your question about the wise Latina. That's how she was portrayed to us during confirmation of the wise Latina. So we were supposed to notice that she was Hispanic. A female as donated by Latina as opposed to Latino. The wise Latina. Soto Mayor and Hillary Clinton and a number of Elena Kagan, they all are from what I call a generation of rage, meaning anger was a fundamental aspect of them getting what they wanted politically. They were angry at Princeton because of the discrimination against them for whatever reason. Uh, this generation of, of women used rage uh, as a way of breaking through whatever they thought was standing in their way. And they're not able to hide it very well as a result, since it was so successful in getting them where they wanted to go. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, I think the wise Latina has let it be known exactly what her politics are by coming out against all of these judges on the court that fined for Trump in emergency hearings. That's what she's mad about. You know, a federal judge uh, in East Butlick, Oregon, will say, I'm issuing an injunction on Trump's travel ban. A judge in East Butlick, Oregon, can do that. And a bunch of judges, there's no way that a judge in that far out of the way little should have the ability to nationally stop something. So they appeal to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court routinely has found in favor of Trump in these cases. And that's what she's mad about. She's expressing opinion based on political losing. They're, she's losing politically. Trump is winning. That's what she's upset about. She criticizing fellow members of the court. It's another thing that you don't see these Supreme Court justices. They never do this publicly. They don't criticize, but, but, but in political terms, they may, you know, in in uh, dissenting opinions, rights, and things, but they will never single out a justice. They'll say the majority, or the court, or something. they always try to remain very uh, very collegial. But that kind of that kind of broke down here. No, what I was going to say, uh, Catherine gave me a, a a frame of a saying about I don't know six months ago, and she put it where I will walk past it every day. And it says, "I'm going to have to paraphrase this. I wish I had it. For I should have taken a picture of it." It says, "Remember." You used to dream about being exactly where you are today. I think that's pretty close. Now, you know what the point of that is? What the hell are you mad about? Now, not that I'm running around mad. It's a way to keep things in perspective. Remember, you used to dream about being exactly where you are today. It's, it's a great reminder on keeping things in perspective. 
And something I was saying about Stothomayor, the wise lip, reminded me of that. And I wanted to pass it on before I forgot it. And it ended up into some deep, dark crevice of my brain to be discovered later. Back in a moment. Stay with us. The fastest three hours in media. If you believe it, the program's almost over. And it feels like we just started. Joshua, Texas next. This is Tom. Great to have you, sir. Hi. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's an honor to talk to you. And uh, you're in my prayers. Um, I just wanted to say, earlier in the show, you commented that most of Bernie's followers were people with student loans and college grads and so forth. So I wonder, why shouldn't President Trump develop a plan that would help and assist people with paying those loans back in, in an easier fashion? Not, not free, of course, uh, but just help them and, well, and announce that so he could win some of those followers. Here's the thing. Bernie is out talking about forgiving the loans. He's he's going to he's he's making people think that he's just going to wipe it out. That once Bernie gets elected, he's in office for a few days. That student loan debt is going to end. You just it's going to vanish. You're no longer going to get a bill uh, or your loan payments no longer going to be deducted. So anything against that in terms of competition is going to lose. How do you compete with free? But I understand understand your thinking. Uh, I think, and it, I, this may be why I would never get elected or anything, but I would go on a... I, I'd do an information crusade on this whole student loan versus college education thing, and I would explain to people why it's people like Bernie Sanders and the Washington establishment who have raised the cost of a college education to the point that the purpose of a college education has been wiped out now by the debt that you incur getting it. It's supposed to put you ahead. It's supposed to put you uh, in a better position to earn a higher salary. And even if you do, the amount of money of your, that higher salary that goes to retiring your, your debt kind of cancels out the whole purpose. I'd go on a whole education process about this. And maybe if there's a way to help with student loan payments, eliminating it, I don't know. The federal government runs a program now, so Trump could do something. I'll think about this because it's actually it's not a bad idea. But still, how do you compete with free? Yeah, Michael uh, Michael Doomberg says that he's going to release three women from their non-disclosure deals so they can say whatever he didn't want them to say. I don't know how he arrived at the number three. I don't even know if it's actually going to happen. And we'll follow it up. Hope you have a great rest of the day, and we will be back here tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> 